This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer that's right Bragg is answering from the beacon of Amandine welcome back to light the beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on the phantasmagorical MMORPG Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics and books movies gaming and the lore of Jartmaster Tolkien this is episode 36 and I am your host Bragg of the Lonely Mountain the chaste uh, no that's not a title that's uh, Galahad wrong show um, but I am a dwarf of ill repute and I am broadcasting live tonight from the Keep of the Swan Knights in Dal Amroth. And uh, I'm out on the causeway that, uh, that crosses over from the main island of Dal Amroth on the coast. And as I prance up to the doors of the Keep of the Swan Knights here, I can see the door is uh, quite decked. Decoratively festooned, it's got uh, double columns right and left uh, with a high arching transom uh, with some very delicate pattern work in it. The Tree of Gondor is of course inscribed on, uh, on both sides of the door as well as intricate root systems branching down from it. Uh, the causeway is ringed by, um, by you know, large columns that stick up to the left and to the right arching almost over the entire span and uh, not quite as well as some signal fires down the end here and um, a symbol of Gondor that I remember seeing in a Numinous it looks kind of like a uh, a small sailboat with a with a uh, blue sail and a gold star sticking up above it the keep rises uh, quite quite impressively over my head and uh, is peaked by uh, double winged um, face of uh, that you see in uh, probably the face of Throngil, I guess that we see uh, all over um, the city of Dal Amroth there's a if, as I look to the west there's a large facade or face carved into the rock looking out into the ocean I can see a small island off to the right I believe that's one of the islands that we would uh, Normally, be venturing in for one of the Dom Alroth Daily Del Amroth Daily quests, and as I glance back to the east, um, looking into the Bay of Belflas, across the water, towards the Cave of the Avorum and uh, the refuge of Edelhand, I see a couple black corsair ships in the water, and actually, there's a Swan Knight ship crossing the bay. I guess it must be running the uh, blockade there. Quite a quite a uh, you know chutzpah with the commander whoever that is I'm not sure he's supposed to be out there given that they have a rather large ship of Bal Balthazor or whatever the heck his name is kind of blocking the harbor there but it's uh it's an interesting uh, setting I haven't been down this way in a while so I thought I'd drop in 
see how the folks in Gondor are doing. The uh, causeway here is is well patrolled by a number of swan knights. I'm looking at one right now. He's got silver and blue armor uh, with uh, metal clad plate rising up on his calves. Uh, unfortunately, kind of a skirted, you know, lower armored section, uh, followed by a breastplate, large cloak coming up both sides, and of course the the winged helmets, which are so famous in this area. He looks like he's wielding a double-sided halberd, which is uh, not a bad weapon for this kind of setting. Uh, there are some flags flapping in the breeze here. I can almost smell the salt air, and uh, the top of the bridge is absolutely covered with, uh, with either swans or seagulls that are circling. And you can hear them calling in the distance. Yes. It's a very nice setting. Um, Grima's back with us. Say something to the viewers, Grima. Yeah. Well, aren't we in a good mood today? That's the best sneer I've heard from you all week. Must be all this healthy salt air. Does a sycophant, a sycophant good, that does. So uh, with uh, Grima on board and participating again, let's, uh, let's move on and light our second beacon. There we go. Well, first it's time for CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So let's do a roll call. Last episode, we offended MBI 2015 podcasters, Essence Grinders, fans of the Mighty Ducks of Dahl Anaheim, Grimbold's Dream Brigade, about half the, coast, the cast of Lotro Players News, which apparently went by without notice from anyone, and to you all, I issue a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, moving on to viewer comments. So I know there's no viewers, but apparently we have a viewer comment. So um, that comment comes from friend of the show, Braggenthorn. I know, serendipitous, right? Uh, he writes, good to have some more beacons lit with brag. You do need to chew on those folks who are stealing from you. Shame on them. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's all in good fun. The sound seemed fine. Keep them lit, brag. This is my new recording setup. Hopefully it's still acceptable. Thanks for the feedback, Braggenthorn. I really do appreciate it. And moving on to Community Spotlight. I uh, did want to note that the trailer for the new series from LPN, Lore of Middle-Earth, came out this past week. It's a very short teaser, about 20 seconds, but uh, Braxwolf's narrative voice, you can already see, is taking fine form. Um, the production quality, you know, is going to be high. Very much looking forward to this series. I have a feeling it will make an impact beyond the game of Lotro in the wider community and uh, for Tokian Tokian enthusiasts in general. So um, really hoping them much success, and uh, we'll be cross-promoting that once it's available. Very excited, especially that first series. Probably going to be a whole bunch of hobbits just uh, running over the hills, spreading out all over the greensward, I'm sure. Um, also, from a community spotlight perspective, I did want to note that... Um, there's a new podcast in town. Those of you who are following Contains Moderate Peril probably know that uh, it is being reincarnated in the form of Burton and Scrooge. Uh, Burton uh, referring to, I'm sure, Roger's love of Richard Burton. I think is one of the icons he uses in his site. And Scrooge, I think, just referring to uh, Brian's general dour, uh, you know, <laughs> dour look uh, outlook upon uh, gaming and other areas. <laughs> so, um, 
So it's the it's the same sort of content that used to have in the past, and I think uh, they're just billing it as a little more informal as far as uh, the production values and editing and so forth are required. Hey, whatever keeps them on the air, I am all for. But uh, in podcast number five, it came out this week. They had some interesting commentary on um, you know what you might call almost a mini renaissance of Lotro. You know that might be too strong a word, but. The sustained relevance of Lotro may be more apt uh, as how they described it. You know, for a game that's long in the tooth, looking at eight plus years, um, there have been a number of new developments of late, which have surprised some people that have been, you know, basically, uh, you know, all those Nostradamuses out there who have been predicting the game's demise for quite some time. And if I go through a little laundry list of some things we've seen over the last two years, You'll notice there are a number of things that uh, they either said would never happen or were extremely unlikely or they talked about in terms of, you know, being a zero priority. And, and here we are with uh, some of these quality of life improvements and or major changes to the game. And uh, just for, you know, some of the top level, top of mind items that come to, come to, uh, come to the forefront quickly, uh, the ability to have multiple mail attachments. Uh, which I, I never cease to appreciate. Uh, new character class in the Bjorning. Uh, the LI imbuement process. I know it's uh, still obviously got some work to go, but uh, is a start on the promise they had of being able to grow your legendary items with you. Uh, new PVMP map and balancing. Uh, rep click functionality. Cosmetic weapons, as you know, that were announced this past week. New instances that were added to the game after... Uh, after saying for some time that there would be no, no no more new instances and they weren't worth the development time that was required to uh, to put them out, um, I'll, I'd say continued excellence in terms of landscape development that puts us on track to complete the events of the Third Age by the year 2017 when the current license expires. Um, a no, new store UI that's coming, server consolidations, but also upgrades to data, data centers and server hardware. You know. What, what is driving all this content that we didn't think we'd see at this point in the game's lifetime? Is, is some of it based on resource availability from Infinite Crisis being uh, canceled? Or is it just a more positive climate based on leadership changes and or uh, Lotro's ability to continue to deliver sustained revenues in uncertain times when lots of games are getting canceled? Um, probably a mix of all those things, I'd have to guess. But uh, uh, as they discuss in the game, it's, uh, you know... Uh, has some, been some positive things that have come out the last year or two that uh, certainly have countered a lot of the, uh, the negative forum posts and uh, doom and gloom that you see out there. Uh, speaking of forums, what else is going on in the forums? No time for forums of late. Must move along. I did see there was a thread I want to get to that uh, uh, Lotro Reporter mentioned uh, where the devs were answering some questions about why they made certain design decisions in the game over the years which looks really interesting. It's just uh, seven pages of reading, so I haven't quite gotten to it yet. If I go through there and I see anything interesting, I will let you know. Uh, but you can find it under the dev tracker in the forum discussions. So, in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. Hooray! We're going to have another chapter in our ongoing series on combat mechanics, Prepare for a Technical Knockout. We're going to look at the state of the burglar at end cap, and if there's any time remaining... We will translate some Dwarven profanity for our younger listeners. With that, let's move on to our third beacon. We have reached Nardal, 
Nardal is aflame this week in gaming and or other Toki news. I've been playing another game this week, surprisingly, the last two weeks. Um, based on continued positive word of mouth, both in social media and from uh, some friends that I have that have played the game in the past, I have picked up Marvel Heroes again. It's a game that I dallied with briefly, uh, maybe a year ago. Took a character into the early teens and uh, lost interest and moved on. But uh, I've heard a lot of good things. I've heard they've done a lot of development. They've uh, smoothed over some of the rough patches. They've uh, got some more dynamic content. Added a lot of new character classes to the game, obviously. So I decided to give it another shot. Um, I've got two characters right now in game. I've got a Captain America somewhere around level 17, 18, something like that. And uh, I've also, which provided me enough Infinity Splinters, as they're called, to unlock another tune. And um, process of random elimination, I ended up with the Vision, which I've been happy with so far. Um, he's at level 15 right now, currently. And uh, for those of you who don't know, you can play any character in Marvel Heroes up until level 10 to give it a try. And then you have to use Infinity Splinters to unlock the rest of the level ranges, which you can you know, normally do with a couple hours of gameplay. At least that's my experience in the early going. Um, and I learned recently from watching a, uh, a, short, um, a short stream from Braxwolf that the more characters that you level, the more they kind of cross-promote each other with additional buffs, which I think is an interesting concept. So... Marvel is obviously trying to promote you to play as many of the different classes as possible, hoping you'll find one that meets your playstyle and interests. And there does appear to be quite a bit of variety in the gameplay as I've seen. So one, one, of my, one of my early impressions about Marvel Heroes, first of all, I do like the quick action, the ability to jump in and immediately start doing something. Um, appears to have a form of dynamic events that you can find in the different areas of the game that you look at, which are kind of constantly spawning, so you can always jump right in. The wide character selection is a big draw, especially from those of us who drew, uh, grew up reading comic books and in the Marvel Universe. Um, I don't know exactly how many tunes they have in there, but I want to say it's on the order of 40 or 50 that I saw scrolling through the windows. And each of them appears to be fairly widely different. I mean, you know, everyone's got a range skill, a melee skill, um, and, uh, you know, one or two AOE skills. But they, you know, they have nice animations. Um, some of them are, are pretty interesting and cool. And, uh, you know, they definitely have a wide, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a skill bloat type of game. You'll get maybe eight or nine different ones that you'll lean on heavily. You know, most of the time you use four or five, at least in my experience. Uh, but it's just enough variety to keep it interesting. Uh, one thing I don't like about the game is instead of the WASD navigation, they use mouse navigation. And then you'd uh, use keyboard to trigger your skills, your attack skills off. Takes a little getting used to after years of WSD gaming. Um, right now, I'd have to say I'm not a fan, but uh, you know it works, and I think I could get used to it over time. I felt like I wanted a second row of skills stacked uh, to act to make them more easily accessed on the bottom. And right now, they have a, a series of three that you can cycle through. You could probably uh, put two or all three bars up there at once. Um, I haven't investigated the UI settings enough to be able to see how that's done, but uh, I imagine that's uh, probably a standard setting. So as I mentioned, the, the, your powers and skills are relatively simple. Um, you know, There's a class tree structure for adding points as you level so that you can make them stronger and more effective. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I'm not sure how much the order of button mashing affects gameplay right now, at least in the early levels and fighting trash mobs. So that's a bit of a negative for me. Um, you know, I think I'd like a bit more strategy in how you have to play, and, and perhaps that comes in later in the game when you're doing co-op play to try to take down bosses. Um, but, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of interaction between the skills and the tunes. It doesn't seem to feature the MMO holy trio of DPS, healer, and, and tank. Uh, some characters are definitely tankier than others. Some appear to be better at melee, some better at ranged. So, uh, you know, maybe there is a mix that you need to be able to uh, achieve certain objectives. Haven't seen anyone with heals that you can apply to others in your party. Uh, right now it just seems to be your own, but... Um, it might be as you develop the buffs, they start to spread to others around you, which would at least be something. Um, I just, uh, you know, there, there is a crafting um, avenue to the game, a mechanism to the game. It looks pretty simplistic so far. I've been just throwing extra stuff in my bags into the crafting hole, looking to see what it would let me make. Um, nothing that I've found to be of interest so far that you couldn't pick up, uh, you know, fighting mobs in different areas. Again, maybe at the high end it's worthwhile. Um, so I've been just selling or craft dumping lots of my materials. Uh, I know Eternity Splinters are good because they help you unlock tunes, and I'm not sure about the rest yet. So I'm starting to fill my bags with stuff that I think can be used for crafting or for other purposes, uh, and I'm not sure what to do with them yet. Especially not sure what to do when I get items that are meant for other classes. So I'm playing the Vision, and I get um, you know a piece of headgear for Cyclops. And uh, I guess you can save it in Vault for your other tunes, um, you know. But right now I've just been vendoring it. Not sure if that's the best uh, strategy or not. So seems like a game that would be fun to play with the kids. Um, I'd like to see a little more of the overall story and the motivation behind why my character is doing some of the things he's doing. But that could come from just a few more hours of gameplay and getting into it a bit more. So uh, I'm not sure how serious I am about it yet, but uh, I think I'm going to mess around with it a little bit more and find out. And that's enough for what I've been doing outside of Lotro. So inside of Lotro, uh, Bragg has completed most of the uh, Eastern Gondor content, um, has gone back. What do you do when you're done with the new content? Well, you go deeding, right? So he's been deeding in Avendim, um, was killing Guaradan in the camp in the northwest side of the Evenrills there. Uh, Deeding, uh, slaying giants in their stronghold uh, just to the west of the uh, of the encampment that's up on the west side of the map, up the hill. And, of course, salamanders on the island of Tyleruinen. And I think after I finish those up, I have maybe three or four others uh, around Anumanas, including Limfrain. That should be thrilling. And uh, I think one of the uh, Anuminas deeds to kill, like, the leaders of Anuminas, which might include doing some of those instances, which I wouldn't mind. That would be fun. Bragg needs to get back and uh, do a few more instances from the new cluster in Osgiliath and have not been uh, invited to a Dome of Stars uh, run yet. Uh, haven't seen many calls for it, which is kind of interesting. I'm wondering if it's too hard right now or if it's just a... Uh, uh, you know, lacking leaders that know the strategy, but I have not seen even tier one calls for Dome of Stars hardly at all on my server, uh, Vilia. So um, I'll be keeping an eye out for that. If not, at some point, I'm just going to form my own party and stumble through there and see what we can do. Uh, I have been messing around with the Bjorning. He is level, geez, I think he's 76 now. So he's done all the quests in Langold for the Warsteed, and he does, in fact, possess his Warsteed. 
Uh, for the first time in a while, I gave him some new LIs at level 75 because I had some symbols of Celebrimbor laid by for that level. Um, so he's a bit more punchy now in combat, which is nice. Uh, I still have one quest left in the Discovering the Descendant line to get the Gift of the Miras at Hank Stacer's farm. Uh, I've been looking every day, for, or almost every day, maybe every other day for a couple weeks now, and just can't seem to get that one to pop up. So, uh, you know, I started the, the dis Discovering the Descendant line quests back when, probably when he was in his 40s, thinking that would be plenty of time. But uh, the RNG has been against me, and I uh, still don't have that skill. So I think I need feed for the horses or something like that um, is the one I'm missing. Um, hopefully it'll pop up soon. That skill does come in handy to have a nice uh, extra heal under your belt uh, for war steeding. So uh, I do promise I will have a segment in the future about war steeding on the Bjorning. Right now it's just a little too new. I wanted to give, uh, give it a chance for me to get some points into my tree and see how some of the new skills add on. Um, I know you can throw bees, so that's a good thing at least. Um, and I left my Bjorning in Floodwind, heading towards Elfengels, I think, next. And, uh, you know, doing some spot running in Eastern Rohan. That content is actually a little rusty for me now, so it's good to see some of it again. Uh, been dabbling with my Minstrel. You go, Warchant Mini. Uh, she's powered her way through a few Dole Armroth training exercise instances including the library, and uh, did just fine. I think I maybe had one death right off the bat when I was a little rusty. I hadn't played my mini in a while, especially in DPS stance, and I pulled a group of six and went down before I could even hit my still-as-death skill, uh, my flop. Uh, but after that, and I remembered where some of my old crap buttons were and what else I could do to prep and was a little more careful, and she worked her way right through there. It was actually a nice, um, you know, the mini in Warchant stance has... Three or four pretty darn good AOE skills that can crit up to 10 to 15k if you're well stacked out. Um, so that'll burn down some groups pretty darn quick. Um, so going for some DA gear for, for her. It's been a while. Either the set bonuses or the essences gear. I might mix or match through those. Uh, I did buy her two pieces of uh, big battle jewelry. I had, uh, I think, like 1,700 of the Stars of Merit built up from various BB runs, which is good for about two solid pieces. So I got her the two-set piece, uh, Big Battle Jewelry, that uh, I believe gives uh, a percentage increase to healing and motivation skill criticals. So that should be nice. Um, definitely was an upgrade over some of the level uh, probably 176 or 192 teal stuff that she was wearing. I uh, had her go and run four or five Sandberg runs um, last night with uh, with another group. Uh, we churned through those pretty good. Hadn't, hadn't done one of those Sandberg trains in a while. And just was interested in seeing what was dropping from it recently. Um, so the Medallions and Marks are still pretty good. Still pretty good trade-off for the amount of time it takes to you know do a full run, which is like 10 minutes. Um in five runs, we got three Anphalas Starlit Crystals out of it, which are, you know, nice. I didn't get one, of course, but uh, three crystals in five runs is not bad, especially given ten minutes apiece. And I did get a drop of a new cape that was better than what I had. It was a level 195 teal, which was a bit of an upgrade over what I was wearing. So I did get something out of it that was helpful there. 
Uh, my Cappy has been doing a little more stuff in Asgiliath. He's got two rangers left to find to complete that section and open up the ashes of Asgiliath quest line, which will allow him to do the instance to get his class trade point, I believe. Um, let me see, what else did he do? He healed the turtle run. That wasn't too tough. <laughs> Those go pretty quickly now. Uh, did a T3 grade for breaching the Necromancer's Gate. That went uh, like cake. Uh, didn't get any good loot out of it, but it was fun anyway. Haven't done a Tier 3 raid uh, with a group in a while. Uh, 12 man. Um, and, kind of exciting, uh, got a call out to come to the Rift and kill Thorlock. So somebody had spent the time to solo their way through uh, the majority of the instance. Obviously a level 100 tune. Uh, but was stuck on Thorlack. You still can't do that, I think, with a single 100-level tune. So uh, I think we had like maybe five or six people in, you know, maybe three 100s and two tunes that were in their 60s or 70s. And, uh, you know, we spent the time to go through the strategy, and he told people about, you know, what to do and where to go. And uh, he was knowledgeable on the raid, so I let him direct it. And... Uh, the whole thing was over before I, it took longer to explain it than to run it. You know, the whole thing was over before I could solo tank the Everseer and open the back locks to kill the flood of disease crap that comes through. So, it takes longer to run. Uh, it takes longer to run through the entrance from the entrance than it does to actually run the boss fight at this point. Uh, so he goes down pretty quick. But uh, so uh, interestingly enough, my captain had not killed Thorlack previously. So when you have a bunch of alts, you forget which ones have done which, and I was happy to see that he completed that deed. Uh, he has already killed Thorog previously, so he actually has just the three instance deeds to finish the um, Shadows of Angmar meta deed. Uh, so I'm contemplating potentially uh, grinding some Rift, Urugarth, and Balad Guluran runs with my Cappy to earn that meta deed steed over time. I didn't think I'd do that again, but... When I saw those two boxes checked off and just the other three stuff I can solo and grind, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll do it. We'll see. Uh, but first, he's got to get through Esgiliath. Uh, no time with the lore master, but I have been spending time on my burglar. And happy to announce that my burglar is now my fifth tune to level 100. Uh, passing my, hundred, my hunter, who has been at NCAP previously, and uh, my Bjorning, who's uh, around level 76, so on his way. Um, so I know there's people out there that have 10, 11, 12, 13, 50, 200, you know, end cap characters. But I'm proud of having five. It's fun to have that variety and, uh, uh, you know, ability to lend almost any skill set to a raid when being called upon. Um, I did, uh, was going to go run some Sambrog runs with the Berg before I realized that uh, he was missing the prereqs. Which is pretty embarrassing. I got invited to the group and I couldn't get into the instance for Samrog because he'd never done uh, Thadder or whatever the other one is. Um, you know, like I said, when you have multiple tunes, sometimes you lose track of who's done what. But still, pretty embarrassing to get a tune to level 100 and never to have run uh, the two feeder wings of the Barrow down, uh, the Barrow skirm, uh, the Barrow instances. So uh, anyway, I hit 100 while I was on the beach at Hashadir, south of Dal Amroth, killing Corsairs and. Uh, you know, and also just before that, I killed that special needs warband, uh, what's his name, Azerbaijan, running around, the brute. Every time I see him and he's like running, stumbling across the, the plains there, uh, he's, you know, I, I kind of think of him as the guy from Of Mice and Men going, tell me about the rabbits, George. And I kind of feel bad killing him, but but not that bad. Uh, give me that, uh, give me those marks, medallions, please. See you next time, brute. 
so my Berg, after completing Helm's Deep Long Night, um, ran the last three instances of the big battles for there with with a duo, and my performance at uh, you know tier one big battle level went from bronze to gold and platinum with a duo, which is nice. Got a few points to sink into the tree at least. So thanks to my kinmate that ran those with me. Uh, did Pass the Dead, Ring Low Veil, followed the epic through Western Gondor, and uh, now ready to start the epic line for Central Gondor, where the class trait points await. So uh, Burglar only has 65 class trait points right now out of... I think the total of 75, that's the new max. So missing a few in there. I know we can get five in Central Gondor and one in Eastern Gondor, two from Big Battle. So I think I might be missing two from Western Rohan. I'm going to have to go back and look what I'm missing. Uh, but I did get a brand new shiny First Age 100 level dagger, um, which ID'd very nicely for me with uh, three Tier 5 legacies. And uh, added another major in the mix. So I've got four majors uh, with a crystal of remembrance that makes five majors and two minors. Uh, with most of the ones I was imbued with at tier five already. So I was very happy with that. Uh, needs a bit more leveling before I consider imbuing it. But I probably will, being that my DPS weapon and wanting the damage increases that come with it. Um, so need to grind some, some IXP runes for that. Uh, and I was definitely overdue. <laughs> so I looked at, I made it to level 100. I looked at my gear and I had, I think, a, a level 75 sword and a second age level 65 bag of tricks, uh, burglar tricks. So, uh, you know, I upgraded that one to a second age level 100 um, bag of burglar tricks and it looks, looks decent for now. Uh, Got to grind a few more. Um, Another weapon that I can uh, transfer a legacy from because I didn't have any saved up that that were high enough level to give me legacies to put on my level 100. So, so playing that fun LI game. Uh, my hunter is still sitting at level 93. She finished up middle mead, so I did a couple tasks there. I'm gonna uh, head back to Aldberg and finish off some of the stuff in uh, you know Western Rohan and Aldberg there. Um, RK40 I logged into just to to uh, craft my new bag of tricks for my burglar. And Warden and Champ got nothing. Nope, nope, and nope. No attention. But my burglar at level 100 does lend itself to both of the sections of our discussion that are going to come later in this podcast. So let's move on to those. We have come to Aralas, and we are going to have another segment on combat mechanics which we have done in the past. Specifically, we're going to talk a little bit about CC, or as most of you know it, crowd control. Uh, focusing, you know, obviously there are many different forms of crowd control that exist out there in the game. Uh, for this part, we're going to talk specifically about men's, stuns, dazes, and knockdowns. And we're going to leave some of the other types, like fears, roots, and slows, maybe for another segment. So why am I focus, focusing on mezzes, stuns, dazes, and knockdowns? Well, the burglars are master at many of those things. It's uh, one of the best classes in the game for it. So I've been playing a lot of burg lately, and I thought it would be apt. So let's talk a little bit about a stun or knockdown. First of all, a stun is a form of crowd control that immobilizes a target. Target cannot move or use any abilities throughout the duration of the stun. When the stun expires, the target will have an immunity to be stunned again for approximately 10 seconds. Uh, 
In general, stuns have shorter duration than dazes, but they cannot be broken by damage. So when, when a mob is stunned, you can wail away on him and not worry about breaking the stun. Uh, many named enemies in the game, unfortunately, are immune to stun, like a lot of end bosses. As opposed to a knockdown, which uh, a lot of bosses will be subject to, even if they're immune to stuns. So a knockdown is a form of stun caused by certain special skills that actually causes somebody to sprawl flat on the ground. And um, there are a couple mobs in the game and a lot of bosses that can't be stunned but can be knocked down. So knowing the difference between those can be important. In effect, the, you know, the, the effect on the mob once they're stunned or knocked down is about the same, you know, depending on the duration of the stun or knockdown. But the fact that they're two different classifications means they work on some um, and knockdowns you know, may work on others where stuns may not. Uh, what about a daze or a mez? A daze is a form of crowd control that immobilizes a target, same as a stun. The target cannot move or use any abilities throughout the duration of the daze. When a daze expires, the target will have an immunity to dazes for approximately one second. Uh, temp temporary state immunity does not affect dazes. So temporary state immunity is what you get after you're stunned, does not affect a daze. In general, dazes have a longer duration than stuns, but can be broken by damage. So after you daze or mez somebody, you need to make, be, take special care not to hit them and break them out of the mez. Um, if your lore master mezzes a target and you hit it with damage, it's going to come back into the fight probably before your lore master's cooldown is up to be able to remez the target. Um, if you let it be, then the mezzed cooldown will be over before the target comes to his senses and it can just be reapplied basically locking a mob down in perpetuity during the course of a fight until your fellowship is ready to deal with them. Um, before expiration, a daze can also be overwritten by another incoming daze, stun, root, or fear. So before he even comes out of the mez, you can hit him with another one or uh, you know, one, of different, uh, one of different crowd control methods. So because of this, an enemy can basically be kept permadazed or chain mezzed, as is sometimes referred to in the game. If you're in a raid and your raid leader says, LM, chain mez the archer on the right-hand side of the formation, you'll know what to do. Uh, also important to note that all these uh, skills are considered interrupts. So basically, if you see your foe doing an induction and you hit him with a stun, knockdown, mez, or daze, uh, you're going to interrupt that induction and whatever big skill he was looking to pop off is not going to be able to hit. So any skills you have that trigger these conditions should be considered forms of crowd control. Generally speaking, classes that have good crowd control skills need to use them when fighting on-level multiple mobs to survive. So in such a fight on my minstrel, hunter, burger, burglar, or lore master, I almost, almost always start um, a difficult fight with a lot of opponents with... Um, for the minstrel, a fear skill. For the hunter, a bard's arrow. For a burglar, a riddle. Or for a lower master, a blinding flash. So such skills generally buy you uh, at least 15 to 30 seconds, depending on how you're traded, which can be enough time to burn down or almost burn down another mob or two, effectively reducing your fight to one or two less opponents than you had when you started. So a couple rules about crowd control. Uh, first of all, always CC, in my experience, try to CC the mob that's furthest away. Um, 
that allows the mobs that are closer to come run to you um, and you can hit them with skills as they approach without without impacting the mob that's farther off that you don't want to strike um, so basically hitting the furthest away mob with your crowd control skill kind of keeps him out of the way so that when you do AOEs as it follows he's he's not in the line of fire um, also another rule of thumb Basically, hit the ranged mob. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're going to, uh, if you're gonna crowd control somebody, the, the ranged mob is usually a good choice because all the melee mobs won't be able to hit you until they come to stand right next to you, and the uh, ranged mobs, which would stand further off, basically are mezzed at that point, so they're not hitting you immediately, and they're standing their ground until you're done with the melee guys. Um, let me see what else. Uh, Stuns and stuns and knockdowns, though shorter in length, can be the perfect length to get off a longer induction skill without setbacks. So what I try to do sometimes is pair some of the stuns and knockdown skills on my skill bar with uh, with other skills as a reminder uh, that have longer inductions. For so here's an example: if your hunter's in a close fight and his morale is low. Hitting your opponent with a bard's arrow so that he runs away for 10 or 15 seconds and then returns might allow you to hit the Strength of the Earth. Strength of the Earth is a skill that basically lets you draw power and morale from the Earth while, while the mob is feared and running around in circles, and by the time he comes back, you're in good shape again. Um, oftentimes, after I stun someone with a minstrel's piercing cry, I'll hit a bolster courage because, again, I'll have a time for that longer induction to go off to get a big self-heal. Uh, before I get interrupted with the with the mob coming back, um, after you've uh, you know either stunned um, a mob as an LM or mezzed him with your blinding flash, uh, sometimes you can hit earthquake. So earthquake was a good one. You know back when you had uh, Tanglefoot and you could hit basically root a group of six to ten mobs. Uh, you know further away from you. Uh, sometimes I'll hit Earthquake right after because that would uh, basically, you know, there's basically a time period that lapses after the Earthquake goes off and then they're rooted again. Uh, but Earthquake's a little longer induction. So when the mobs are farther away and they're frozen by the Tanglefoot, good opportunity to get off your Earthquake. Uh, when you're following, remind your group before a fight when possible that you will be CCing and indicate which mob where possible. So, you know, if you're just burning your way through an instance where everything's a tank and spank, it's not a big deal. But in a, in a difficult fight, um, you're in an instance where trash mobs, you know, are maybe at your capacity and you have to be a little more careful. Telling uh, the group, I'm going to mez the back right archer before the fight starts will help keep them basically uh, from damaging that mob or hitting a large AOE skill that will bring him back into the fight, you know, neutralizing your mez. And just so you know, I think most of the lore masters know, uh, but if you don't play a lore master, you may not know that there, there is an option they can tick off in the UI uh, called break state combat uh, notifications, which basically puts a line of text in their chat during combat when someone breaks a mez that they've set on a mob. So basically, if you think you can get away with it without finger pointing at you, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, the lore master should know who broke his mez. He'll be able to look in his chat log and figure out who wasn't paying attention. So you might as well fess up. Um, it's usually the champ, just so you know. Champs always seem to forget somehow.
And uh, also, it should note that crowd control can be resisted, of course, by your mob. So if you were really counting on that crowd control to assist you to get through a tough fight, uh, be prepared to run, just in case. Um, that's why some of the legacies on you know, some, some classes basically reduce resistance in the mobs uh, so that they can't re they're not as apt to be able to resist your crowd control efforts. So with a class like a Berg or Loremaster that has a host of options typically in this category, uh, in my experience, you need to keep an eye on the stun immunity indicator. So basically, if you stun a mob, they're going to get that 10-second stun immunity. It's like a looks like a little red uh, flashing sun that's uh, basically on their debuff line, or their buff line, I should say. And, uh, you know, it'll start to flash as it's about to disappear. And basically, you don't want to waste a good, you know, stun or knockdown or mez skill uh, until that's gone, right? Because once you hit it, the skill the skill is triggered. It might have a long cooldown, and it might not impact the mob in the way that you wanted because he had stun immunity on. So when you have a target, keep an eye on that stun immunity indicator and hit him again as soon as it's gone. Um, another note, as a Berg, whenever I stun or knock down or daze a mob, I always slide behind the stun mob as well to maximize positional damage buffs while he's stunned because he's not going to turn to face me while he's doing that. So basically burglars have you know bonuses to positional damage depending on their class traits and their legacies. Uh, but when you're fighting a mob who's fully, uh, fully alert, you're never going to get those. But once you've stunned and dazed him, you should always slide behind and start knifing him in the back uh, to get all those positional damage buffs. Uh, so knockdowns, I mentioned those earlier, kind of a special form of stun. So here are some of the, the knockdown skills I know of in the game. The Warden has Ambush. Uh, the Guard has a skill called Smashing Stab. Um, basically requires the use of two sub-builder skills, uh, which will then make the Smashing Stab into a knockdown. Uh, the Bjorning has um, what's called Takedown or Leveling Roar uh, after a Lumber. Uh, the champ has a hamstring, of course. Uh, the Berg, when traded in a certain line, has uh, exploit opening as well as the uh, trip skill, uh, which requires you to strike from stealth, but uh, can be triggered. You know, you can go into stealth even in combat in some cases. Uh, Hunter has the tripwire, uh, tripwire trap, and then there are some other skills where it's not quite as dependable. They happen basically, you know, on a crit chance. Uh, so the guard has the to the king, uh, the burglar has uh, exposed throat I mentioned earlier um, as part of their crit chain, and the lore master has a couple pets that actually can do knockdowns like the saber tooth and the bog guardian with their bursting root. Um, the cappy used to have a fellowship maneuver starter when uh, when he did his kick interrupt. It was like a ten percent chance of triggering an FM. Actually, I'm not sure if that is still in the game at this point in time, so that would be a shame. I used to enjoy doing that. Every once in a while when you're doing a Dragok raid, if, uh, if, the burger, if the Burglar's FM was resisted, we'd try a Cappy kick before the Burglar went on to his next skill, just in case we could get one of those into the rotation. And when it worked, it was cause for celebration. All right, so that is our discussion of combat mechanics, stuns, dazes, mezes. I know you were stunned and dazed and probably confused by most of that. So let's move on to our next beacon. Which is Minrimon. The original word from our sponsor segment, Minrimon, is a flame. 
If you ever need a quick ride around Middle Earth and there are no Miras or Eagles in sight, only slow ponies and lag abounding in between Rivendell and Delossid as you schlep your way through the epic quest line, never fear. Now with a few kick swipes on your mobile device, you can crowdsource a ride from the Uber High. One of Saruman's slimy orc minions will arrive lickety-split to give you a piggyback ride to your destination. Upon arrival, you can pay using PayPal and Tier, so no gold has to change hands. And hopefully you get to keep yours, too. Hands, that is. So the next time you've been sharing a few bottles of old winyards with hobbits of the South Farthing, don't risk getting pulled over by the bounders. Dial up a ride with the Uber High. We run as if the very whips of our masters were behind us. Our sixth beacon of the evening, we have come to Kalenhad, and a segment I like to call the State of the Burg Address. I have a burglar at level 100. If you'd asked me a couple years ago if I would ever have a burglar at level cap, I would have called you crazy. So, now that I have a burg at 100, let's review. First of all, what is the relevance of burglars in the game at this point in Lotro's evolution? Well, first of all, they're somewhat of a common trope in MMOs. Most MMOs you play of a fantasy genre are going to have some kind of burglar, thief, or rogue uh, that specializes in stealth and usually single-target DPS. Uh, of course, the burglar for Lotro is rooted in the lore. It springs out of the tale of Bilbo Baggins. Uh, so it gives it special meaning within the scope of the uh, Lord of the Rings milieu. Um, one way I can tell you that burglars are relevant still in the game is that they are still, uh, a good burglar is still very much feared in the moors by the creeps. Um, there aren't a lot of people that play them well, but when they do, they can be extremely effective in PvMP, from what I understand. Don't have much experience there myself yet. Uh, you still need a burglar to run Dragok, of course, if you want to uh, be able to hit the FMs that will uh, remove his armor and allow you to take him down for his loot. Uh, Dragok isn't run as much as it used to, but it was actually a nice feather in the cap for burglars to be in demand for that, uh, for that instance when it came out. It would be nice to see that again in the future. Burglars, of course, for big boss fights are usually in demand to addle, addle, addle. The Addle skill, which uh, basically lengthens inductions, lengthens and interrupts inductions from bosses, um, can be extremely helpful uh, for bosses that have uh, you know multiple very powerful induction skills. Um, gives you the extra seconds the party can need to interrupt and uh, you know prepare for some of those killer boss skills uh, based on inductions. So besides that, what is the lure of playing a, a burglar? Uh, you know, I started playing one out of a desire to basically diversify, um, much like you can with a captain or a lore master. So after level leveling several single-purpose, what I call blunt tools to level cap, including a guard, a mini, and a hunter, you can't get more quintessential as far as you know the stereotypes of those classes and what they're used for. Um, I, felt, I found myself drawn to the playstyle of support characters that could do a little bit of everything, where skill rotation took more thought or instinct instead of just the same patterns over and over. Um, you know, I found out that when I played a captain, I really did feel like I was directing the battle. Ooh, I need a little healing over here. Ooh, I need a little more DPS charge through this area. 
ooh, I need to buff my tank and uh, give him some extra, you know, extra armor support. Oh, uh, here comes a massive AOE. Let me do, um, you know, eh, let me do last stand in, in harm's way. You know, and, uh, oh, we need a, our mini went down. Let, let, let me bring him up with a res. Um, you know, we're back to stable. I'll just put out some basic heals and then contribute some DPS. Maybe do some knockdowns, uh, throw in an interrupt here or there. There really was quite a variety, and, and the LM even more so in some cases. And I, I found that a much more interesting style after I'd mastered some of the basics. So Berg is not quite that as far as a, support, a classic support character is concerned, but it, it is definitely unique. It does require a little more what I would call reactive, active playstyle. Um, so, including some of these some of these considerations. Basically, when you're initiating a combat sequence with a burglar, you have a a series of almost five skills you're going to hit before even before even combat starts. Uh, first, you're going to go into stealth. Um, you hit a target with reveal weakness, which was you know is a basically a debuff, but does not uh, initiate combat. Um, you hit him with, I think it's a distraction, where basically you point or throw a little rock and make a noise, so he turns around so his back is to you. You then hit your aim skill, which guarantees uh, opening up with a crit um, with the next skill that you hit. And then you do your opening melee skill, whether it's cunning attack or subtle stab or whatever it is where you have the most damage, um, you know, and legacy bonuses or whatever the case may be. And, you know, at the current level I'm at, you know, I'm seeing crits basically in the 4 to 8k range to open up a fight with that sequence. Um, so, and I think it can get a lot better once I work on my, my Berg's gear. I'm sure experienced Berg's will tell you that they can probably hit a lot more than that when they when they crit well. So that's five skills before you've even started, started a fight if you really want to maximize your effectiveness. Um, next, if you're fighting a group, you might want to hit a CC skill uh, to riddle that one of the mobs and take them out of play initially. Uh, you might want to let loose with a trick um, to debuff the, the either the mob that you're attacking or a group of mobs. Uh, you might want to buff yourself if you're in a serious fight with multiple mobs with uh, touch and go, which is you know basically your high evade skill for you know for for a number of seconds to start off a fight against multiple mobs. You then might go through your foundational melee skills to try to build some uh, build some damage. And uh, once you hit a critical with one of those, you can move through your crit chain, which basically you trigger one crit skill and the next. And it used to be there was a third, but they've simplified it down to two now. But those usually have you know high DPS payouts if you um, if you had a devastator critical magnitude on your crit chain. Um, at that point, you might want to remove the trick from your mob, further you know, damaging them or placing an additional debuff. Um, sometimes a stun. You can hit them with a stun dust or a trick that does a stun. Then move behind them, go through your crit chain again, repeat. So there's lots of different considerations there depending on how the fight is going, how many mobs you're fighting, you know, what's their status with uh, tricks on, tricks off, stunning, and so forth. And, uh, you know, like I said, in PvP, nobody wants to fight a Berg. It's pretty frustrating to be kind of constantly debuffed and stunned and knocked down um, as they move through all their, their cooldowns. Um, and they even have a skill where you can renew, you know, renew all your cooldowns, basically. And that's uh, basically a no-crap skill, but allows you to go through the chain of most of them a second time very quickly. Um, Sometimes when I'm playing my Berg, I end up using a lot of tab targeting to try to spread the stuns around if I need a little more time. 
And uh, I also feel it is one of the classes where the crafted class items can be most effective. Um, so a lot of crafted class items aren't worth using much anymore, but uh, the burglar still has some good ones. They can throw a dagger, which does a corruption removal, so basically a ranged corruption removal. Um, they have throwing hatchets, which they can use for ranged pulling. Uh, in case you want to be a tank for some reason or you want to remove a guy out of a dangerous situation where there's some pathers. Uh, they can throw caltrips on the ground, which do AoE damage. Uh, AoE damage is not a burglar strength, so uh, an extra tool where you can do some AoE damage is, uh, is very helpful. And, of course, the most effective one, marbles, which is a, both a stun and, a, um, and a, an FM starter for, for a burg. So... You know, the bread and butter of the class is still high-end, single-target spike damage. And uh, if you're fighting a boss, you might want to inject your Addle, 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 which interrupts and does a 25% skill, 25% um, increase on skill inductions. Um, but uh, apart from that, the Burglar has a variety of tools. For crowd control perspective, depending on what they're traded, they have Exploit Opening, Stun Dust, Riddle, Trip, mar their marbles, of course, and startling twist, and um, and they can start fellowship maneuvers with a variety of skills as well, depending on how they're traded and what line they're in, including trip, exploit opening, marbles, exposed throat in the gambler line, and uh, you know hitting the ready and able skill to re reset exploit opening and trip again. Um, so that's you know quite a few options available. If you look through all the, the skills available to the Burglar, from a buff and debuff perspective, they have almost 17 skills amongst the different three trait lines that can buff and debuff targets. So knowing what all those can do and being able to apply them effectively in the right circumstances can have quite a bit of complexity to it. Um, most of the legendary item legacies for the Burg seem to replace cooldown times, cooldown reductions, with additional damage, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, again, you're a DPS class, so it's good to do additional damage. But in my mind, you know, with the CD reductions, it gave you more skill rotation flexibility and creativity. And uh, this kind of takes that away and dumbs down the class again. You know, basically, you're doing the same skills you would normally do. You're just doing more damage, right? So it's it's kind of taking that flexibility and creativity away. Um, from the variety of legacies that were available previously. Um, from a mounted skill standpoint, the Berg is underwhelming. I think you'll hear it described along with Bjornings and Guards as one of the poor mounted, uh, mounted skill combat classes in the game. Uh, they do have a skill they can start out with out of combat called Stratagem, which makes their first, two, their first melee skill in combat more effective. So making sure that you have that on before you engage can be important to at least get a head start. Uh, the melee skills are, you know, there's one, there's one that's a regular skill, there's one that's a high crit skill, there's one that's a bleed, of course, blah, blah, blah. It's the same as you've seen in most other classes. They don't have stabbing mobs in the throat, much to, uh, uh, you know, much to uh, Golden Star chagrin, of course. Uh, but I will say... You know, outside of those skills, which I consider pretty monotonous and boring, they did add a skill with the last release to help the Berg out. And it's one of the best mounted combat skills in the game, I think. It's called Impune Character, or Impune. And what it does is, if you put it on a mob, that mob will turn on his fellows for a pretty long duration. I want to say it's like 20 or 30 seconds, where he'll turn around and fight his fellows for you. So if you're fighting a warband and you put Impune Character on the boss... 
you know, oftentimes he'll turn around and kill all of his uh, followers before you even have to take him on, which is uh, pretty darn effective and fun. So that's the one saving grace for mounted combat skills for the thief or burglar, as the case may be. Um, the lines for the for the burglar, you know, they have uh, first of all mischief maker. This is largely considered what I would think most people consider the fellowing stance. Um, they give you a multiple stun on surprise twist, which comes in handy in groups. There's definitely a focus on buffing and debuffing, um, you know, which obviously helps in larger groups. And you get back your mischievous glee, which is your own self-heal. Um, used to be common to all trait lines, but unfortunately you only get in the mischief maker now, at least initially. Um, you do you do get additional buffing and debuffing at the, at the uh, at the cost of some of your crowd control and DPS though. The quiet knife line is all DPS all the time. It's high in DPS. It's uh, self-explanatory and uh, probably the best one for soloing. And then the, there's the gambler, which is a bit of a mix. Um, I liked running in the gambler. I did it for quite a while. I think I'm going to go back to it. But I'm really not sure if you're grouping, if you can depend on it for high-end raids. Um, basically, there are a number of gambles and bets and hedge bets that you can do. Uh, you've probably seen the graphic fighting with a berg where the little dice roll appears above the mob's head. And basically, the higher the dice roll, the more damage or the more debuff they are, or whatever the case may be. But you can't exactly depend on it. You don't know how effective a gamble is going to be before you throw it. And uh, so... You know, I found it's fun, and it's cool to see the glowing dice rolling over the mob's head. But is it too unpredictable for group rating? Um, I don't know. I haven't read enough opinion on this to know. If some of you guys run Gambler in groups, um, you know, please let me know. But it does set the focus on the chance to gain buffs and put debuffs on foes just in kind of an unpredictable way. So my big question about the Berg is, has the nerfing of Fellowship maneuvers over time disadvantage the burglar when it comes to group play. Um, I remember when the game started out, having a burglar in your group was a luxury. You know, I, I saw many fights where a well-timed burglar FM, when everybody's morale was down or when everybody was out of power or when you needed one final DPS spike to put the, you know, the boss over the edge, um, you know, a burg was invaluable in that capacity. If they really know what they're doing and they had a good sense of timing around it, um, they could be very effective, but you know, it was always one of the primary roles of the Berg. You know, that's what made it different as a class to be an FM starter. Um, you know, maybe nowadays I only see, you know, people don't even use FMs 90% of the time because you could do more damage or more debuffing or more whatever you're trying to do just using your individual skills by the time the FM is done. Uh, I think people do use them if, if you've got a big boss with a lot of uh, morale on him to do all yellows to help uh, debuff him and burn him down a little quicker. It's still effective. But for the most part, outside of that, they're really ignored. Um, you know, being an FM starter really allowed Tank to heal some instances in the past in many cases, or even act as a bird tank. And I almost never see this happening anymore. So it's kind of a question. Where have all the, the great bergs gone in the game? I still think the burglar can be a powerful class, but it's in a bit of a trowel right now in my in my estimation in terms of its cycles for group usefulness. Um, I'm looking forward to playing it more in some group instances at NCAP to see what it really can do from that regard because uh, I haven't had a chance to, to really do much of that. I ran a couple instances in Moria when he was moving through that area. A few other things here and there, but really is a bit unexplored in terms of grouping. So 
you know, I might even take him out to the moors at some point just to try to get back at some of the wargs who, who zerged me over the years. We'll see. Um, you know, still there's, there's nothing like, uh, being a Berg and stealthing to the end of a long cave or dungeon, bypassing all the trash mobs to assassinate a boss at the end for a quest. <laughs> this is, this is really the best part of being a Berg, right? So I, I look for these quests when I'm questing, you know, they always have the one where you kill all the mobs and you collect all the stuff and you assassinate the boss at the end and then you come back. Um, or sometimes you do all those things and then they send you back to get the boss. So uh, when I run into these in the game, I just pick up the boss quest. I sneak by everybody, assassinate the boss in the back, and uh, you know, and then stealth back out. You know, a couple quests that come to mind where you can do this um, in Eastern Rohan when you're in the uh, this the swamp cave where the Bile Draug are, and you have to find the little you know warp nexus all the way down at the bottom. You can sneak by everybody, just find that crypt, and take care of business. Um, in Dunland, uh, as part of the epic storyline, there's a barrel crypt with a Kurgrim boss that you can basically bypass all the trash for. Uh, it used to be if you were, I, this is on my mind because just deeding it, but uh, if you were pursuing the stone markers in Evenden to try to find the treasure, you could go all the way through the, the twisty turny Guaradan um, stronghold to find the marker at the end without having to fight every mob that you came to on that path, although they made it a lot easier now. You don't have to go through the whole path to get the last marker. Um, the Elfstone quest and the Trollshaws as part of the epic bushline book, you know, for volume one, where you have to go to the end of the three caves and like raise the uh, raise the Elfstone overhead. I, I know you have, uh, you know, um, you know the uh, epic buff whatever as you're moving through the cave, so it's not a huge hassle. But you're still burning down a lot of trolls. You just walk to the end and raise the Elfstone up and leave. It's a little easier. So basically, that's really when you're in. Uh, the, the last one that comes to mind is in your absence quest in Forakel when you're bypassing all the ice worms and snow beasts to find Gunane at the end talking to Lethrandir. So there's lots of instances in the game where that skill comes in handy. And you know, those are the good days when it's, uh, when it's good to be a Berg in the game. Um, if I group some more with the Berg, I'll give you guys some more feedback. If you've got some tips for me, I do not consider myself a Berg expert at this point. Uh, but I do have one at level cap, so uh, let me know your stories or any, any of your tricks or tips. Um, and if you've ever been tempted to run a Berg, I do recommend it. It's definitely a change of pace from other classes in the game that's a little bit unique. And that brings the end, the state of the Berg address. Da 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 da. Which brings us to Halifurian. It's time for Blessed Relief. The end of the 36th episode of Light the Beacons. Almost coming up on 42. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg spelled with two A's. The second I stands for asylum. On Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post your comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. Grima, have you given me an iTunes review lately? Nah. Uh, I'll, I'll take that as a no. Um, if your comments incite me to forgo my dwarven apathy, I'll try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. 
This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, the next time you're asked to go pick an orc's pocket 250 times for a measly third of a class trade point, don't despair. Light the beacons. Hey, Grandma, I want you to clean all the swan poop out of those fountains. Nah. Uh, would you rather take a little swim in the Bay of Belfast? I'll throw you off the tower right here. Yeah, I thought so. That's a good lad. That's a very good lad. So long, folks.